Section five of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Haughty Slave. Once on a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Banaras, the Bodhisatta came to life again as a landowner. Another landowner, a friend of his, was an old man himself, but had a young wife who had borne him a son and heir. Said the old man to himself, As soon as I am dead, this girl, being so young as she is, will marry heaven knows whom, and spend all my money instead of handing it over to my son. Wouldn't it be my best course to bury the money safely in the ground? So, in the company of a household slave of his named Nanda, he went to the forest and buried his riches at a certain spot, saying to the slave, My good Nanda, reveal this treasure to my son after I am gone, and don't let the wood be sold. After giving this injunction to his slave, the old man died. In due course the son grew up, and his mother said to him, My son, your father in the company of Nanda buried his money. Get it back and look after the property of the family. So one day he said to Nanda, Uncle, is there any treasure which my father buried? Yes, my lord. Where is it buried? In the forest, my lord. Well, then, let us go there. And he took a spade and a basket, and going to the scene, said to Nanda, Well, uncle, where's the money? But by the time Nanda had got up to the treasure and was standing right over it, he was so puffed up by the money that he abused his master, saying, You servant of a slave-wench's son, how should you have any money here? The young gentleman, pretending not to have heard this insolence, simply said, Let us be going, then and took the slave back home with him. Two or three days later he returned to the place, but again Nanda abused him as before. Without any abusive rejoinder, the young gentleman came back and turned the matter over in his mind. Thought he to himself, At starting this slave always means to reveal where the money is, but no sooner does he get there than he falls to abusing me. The reason of this I do not see." but I could find out if I were to ask my father's old friend, the landowner. So he went to the Bodhisatta, and, laying the whole business before him, asked his friend what was the real reason of such behavior. Said the Bodhisatta, The spot at which Nanda stands to abuse you, my friend, is the place where your father's money is buried. Therefore, as soon as he starts abusing you again, say to him, Whom are you talking to, you slave?' Pull him from his perch, take the spade, dig down, remove your family treasure, and make the slave carry it home for you. And so saying, he repeated this stanza. Methinks the golden jewels buried lie where Nanda, low-born slave, so loudly bawls. Taking a respectful leave of the Bodhisatta, the young gentleman went home, and taking Nanda went to the spot where the money was buried. Faithfully following the advice he had received, he brought the money away and looked after the family property. He remained steadfast in Bodhisattva's counsels, and after a life spent in charity and other good works, he passed away to fare according to his deserts. THE PIGEON AND THE CROW Once on a time, when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisattva was born a pigeon. Now the Benares folk of those days, as an act of goodness, used to hang up straw baskets in divers' places for the shelter and comfort of the birds, 
and the cook of the guildmaster of Benares hung up one of these baskets in his kitchen. In this basket the Bodhisatta took up his abode, sallying out at daybreak in quest of food, and returning home in the evening, and so he lived his life. But one day a crow flying over the kitchen snuffed up the goodly savor from the salt and fresh fish and meat there, and was filled with longing to taste it. Casting about how to have his will, he perched hard by, and at evening saw the Bodhisatta come home and go into the kitchen. Ah, thought he, I can manage it through the pigeon. So back he came next day at dawn, and when the Bodhisatta sallied out in quest of food, kept following him about from place to place like his shadow. So the Bodhisatta said, Why do you keep with me, friend? My lord, answered the crow, your demeanor has won my admiration, and henceforth it is my wish to follow you. But your kind of food and mine, friend, are not the same, said the Bodhisatta. You will be hard put to if you attach yourself to me. My lord, said the crow, when you are seeking your food, I will feed too by your side. So be it then, said the Bodhisatta, only you must be earnest. And with this admonition to the crow, the Bodhisatta ranged about pecking up grass seeds, whilst the other went about turning over cow dung and picking out the insects underneath till he had got his fill. Then back he came to the Bodhisatta and remarked, My lord, you give too much time to eating. Excess therein should be shunned. And when the Bodhisatta had fed and reached home again at evening, in flew the crow with him into the kitchen. Why, our bird has brought in another home with him exclaimed the cook, and hung up a second basket for the crow, and from that time onward the two birds dwelt together in the kitchen. Now one day the guildmaster had in a store of fish, which the cook hung up about the kitchen. Filled with greedy longing at the sight, the crow made up his mind to stay at home next day and treat himself to this excellent fare. So all the night long he lay groaning away, and next day, when the Bodhisatta was starting in search of food, and cried, "'Come along, friend crow,' the crow replied. "'Go without me, my lord, for I have a pain in my stomach.' "'Friend,' answered the Bodhisatta, "'I never heard of crows having pains in their stomachs before. "'True, crows feel faint in each of the three night watches, "'but if they eat a lamp wick, their hunger is appeased for the moment. "'You must be hankering after the fish in the kitchen here. "'Come now, man's food will not agree with you.' Do not give way like this, but come and seek your food with me. Indeed, I am not able, my lord, said the crow. Well, your own conduct will show, said the Bodhisatta. Only fall not a prey to greed, but stand steadfast. And with this exhortation away he flew to find his daily food. The cook took several kinds of fish and dressed some one way, some another. Then, lifting the lids off his saucepans a little to let the steam out, he put a colander on the top of one and went outside the door, where he stood wiping the sweat from his brow. Just at that moment out popped the crow's head from the basket. A glance told him that the cook was away, and, "'Now or never,' thought he, "'is my time. The only question is, shall I choose minced meat or a big lump?' 
arguing that it takes a long time to make a full meal of minced meat he resolved to take a large piece of fish and sit and eat it in his basket so out he flew and alighted on the colander click went the colander what can that be said the cook running in on hearing the noise seeing the crow he cried oh there's that rascally crow wanting to eat my master's dinner i have to work for my master not for that rascal what's he to me i should like to know so first shutting the door he caught the crow and plucked every feather off his body then he pounded up ginger with salt and cumin and mixed in sour buttermilk finally sousing the crow in the pickle and flinging him back into his basket and there the crow lay groaning overcome by the agony of his pain at evening the bodhisattva came back and saw the wretched plight of the crow ah greedy crow he exclaimed you would not heed my words and now your own greed has worked against you so saying he repeated this stanza the headstrong man who when exhorted pays no heed to friends who kindly counsel give shall surely perish like the greedy crow who laughed to scorn the pigeon's warning words then exclaimed i too can no longer dwell here the bodhisattva flew away but the crow died there and then and the cook flung him basket and all on the dust heap the foolish friend once on a time when brahmadatta was reigning in benares the bodhisattva gained his livelihood as a trader in those days in a border village in kasi there dwelt a number of carpenters and it chanced that one of them a bald gray-haired man was planing away at some wood with his head glistening like a copper bowl when a mosquito settled on his scalp and stung him with its dart-like sting said the carpenter to his son who was seated hard by my boy there's a mosquito stinging me on the head do drive it away hold still then father said the son one blow will settle it at that very time the bodhisattva had reached that village in the way of trade and was sitting in the carpenter's shop rid me of it said the father all right father answered the son who was behind the old man's back and raising a sharp axe on high with intent to kill only the mosquito he cleft his father's head in twain so the old man fell dead on the spot thought the bodhisattva who had been an eye-witness of the whole scene better than such a friend is an enemy with sense whom fear of men's vengeance will deter from killing a man and he recited these lines sense-lacking friends are worse than foes with sense witness the son that sought the gnat to slay but cleft poor fool his father's skull in twain so saying the bodhisattva rose up and departed passing away in after days to fare according to his deserts and as for the carpenter his body was buried by his kinsfolk the stupid monkeys once on a time when the brahmadatta was king of benares a festival was proclaimed in the city and at the first summoning notes of the festival drum out poured the townsfolk to keep holiday now in those days a tribe of monkeys was living in the king's pleasance and the king's gardener thought to himself they're holiday-making up in the city i'll get the monkeys to do the watering for me and be off to enjoy myself with the rest so saying he went to the king of the monkeys 
and first dwelling on the benefits his majesty and his subjects enjoyed from residence in the pleasance in the way of flowers and fruit and young shoots to eat ended by saying to-day there's holiday-making up in the city and i'm off to enjoy myself couldn't you water the young trees while i'm away oh yes said the monkey only mind you do said the gardener and off he went giving the monkeys the water-skins and wooden watering-pots to do the work with then the monkeys took the water-skins and watering-pots and fell to watering the young trees but we must mind not to waste the water observed their king as you water first pull each young tree up and look at the size of its roots then give plenty of water to those whose roots strike deep but only a little to those with tiny roots when the water is all gone we shall be hard put to it to get more to be sure said the other monkeys and did as he bade them at this juncture a certain wise man seeing the monkeys thus engaged asked them why they pulled up tree after tree and watered them according to the size of their roots because such are our king's commands answered the monkeys their reply moved the wise man to reflect how with every desire to do good the ignorant and foolish only succeed in doing harm and he recited this stanza tis knowledge crowns endeavor with success for fools are thwarted by their foolishness witness the ape that killed the garden trees with this rebuke to the king of the monkeys the wise man departed with his followers from the pleasance end of section five